Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you again. The Shkoyah um, for coming. One of the Aseris uh, Adibrais, and perhaps arguably one of the hardest mitzvahs in the Torah, is that of Kibbut Aviyem. What I wanted to discuss this morning is uh, the extent of uh, whether or not Kibbut Aviyem applies not only to parents, of course, but uh, to grandparents. Uh, whether it applies and uh, perhaps to what extent uh, it applies. So the Gemara has in a, num- uh, a number of places a concept called B'nai Bonim Hareihem Kibonim, that grandchildren are treated like children. For example, the Gemara has it here in Mesephus Yavamis in the context of Pruvu, where the Gemara quotes a machlekes between Rav Huna and Rabbi Yechanan about whether or not a person who has children who never le'aleinu pass away, uh, is he still in fulfillment of the mitzvah of Pruvu or not? Rav Huna Amar Kiem Pruvu. Rav Huna holds, you are in fulfillment of Pruvu, even if the children pass away. And he explains over here on the second line, in the name of Ravasi, because Eim ben David Bach, Yechu kol neshama shavaguf. Mashiach will not come until all of the neshamas uh, have been uh, exhausted, have been removed from this area of Olam uh, called the Guf. And when all of those neshamas have come into this world, then Mashiach will come. So even if a person has children who later pass away, he did his part in hastening the coming of Mashiach, and the Gemara assumes that that is uh, a partial fulfillment of Pruvu. So if Huna holds, he has fulfilled Pruvu, even if the children later pass away. Rabbi Yechanan Omar, Loikim Pirvi has not fulfilled Pruvu, because the Puzzle says in Sefer, Yishayoh, did not create the world to be a barren, it's supposed to be uh, inhabited. And here, his children have not inhabited the world, because Nebuchadnezzar, they passed away. So the Gemara asks uh, Kasha on the opinion of Rav Huna, that a person has fulfilled Pruvu, and brings a riot to Rabbi Yechanan from a bride from Ezevei. B'nei bonim hareihem kibonim, that grandchildren are treated like children, meaning if the children pass away, you're not in fulfillment of pruvu, but if those children already produce grandchildren, then you will be in fulfillment of pruvu. So you see a proof against uh, Rav Huna. Rav Huna holds if the children pass away, even if there are no grandchildren, you're in fulfillment of pruvu. From the Brisa, from this statement, it sounds like it's only uh, because b'nei bonim hareihem kibonim, if there are grandchildren, then they're in fulfillment of pruvu. So the Gemara says, no, not necessarily. It's not a proof against Rav Huna. Kitanya, he, when was this Bryce stated? Lahashlim. Meaning, he never had uh, a boy and a girl to independently to fulfill Pruvu. He was all, but he only had a one, or, one or the other, either a boy or a girl. But if he has grandchildren where he's mashlim, uh, the other one, he has, let's say, a boy, and then he has a grandchild who's a girl, then he is in fulfillment of Pruvu. That's, in the, that's what the context is of that statement, that B'nai Banim Arayim Kibanim. Not where they're discussing a situation where the children pass away, but rather Lahashlim uh, uh, to fulfill the, the Mitzvah Pruvu. If the person couldn't fulfill with his own children, he fulfills it with his grandchildren. But you see from this Gemara concept, at least with regards to Pruvu, that grandchildren are treated like children. And the Gemara has it as well, Masechtas Kiddushin, with regards to... Uh, the daughter of a Kayin who eats Truma as long as she's in the household of her father. But the Pasuk tells us in Parshish Emar, if she gets married um, to Yisrael, then she's no longer able to enjoy the benefits of her, her father's household. She's not able to eat Truma anymore. But if she'll later return to the household of her father, if she'll uh, become a widow, or uh, she'll get divorced, she returns to the house of her father, she returns to her ability uh, to be able to eat Truma. But the Pasuk tells us, stipulates, that's only Imzera Einla. She didn't have children in the house of, uh, with her husband, the Israel. If she did, that prevents her from going back to the household of the father and enjoying Truma as a Baskayin. So the Gemara says, 
if she has any children together with the Israel, she doesn't return uh, to the household of her father. Even if her children passed away, in which case, you know, then she couldn't return. But if she has grandchildren, b'nei banim, harehem kibanim, that's like she still has children from the household of the husband, and that prevents her from returning to the house of, the, of her father and enjoying the truma. So in these two contexts, the Gemara has this concept called b'nei banim, harehem kibanim, grandchildren are treated like children. How far do we take this concept? Does this relate? Does this uh, therefore make the grandchildren like children in the sense that they have to be machabed, the grandparents? Are they like uh, children in that sense as well? So the Ma'arik, uh, contemporary of the Ramah, writes in his Shuvis that no, over here on the third line, they are considered to be descendants of the grandfather. Like, like children in the sense that they're descendants, but they are not children themselves. They're not children. B'nei banim areim kibanim is only the Indian period of the river. They're considered to be descendants. The hakatanila of aloy le Indian acher, not with regards to other inyanim. It is limited to that context of period of river, or perhaps consider you know continuing to be attached to the household of her husband, the, the daughter of the kain. She can't return to the household of her father, but uh, it doesn't extend. It's not, not a uni- universal concept. Marik is discussing a fascinating shaila of. Uh, person who passed away without a child to say Kaddish. Either there was uh, no children, both had passed away, or he only left daughters, they're not going to say Kaddish. So the grandson wanted to know if he's able to say Kaddish for the grandfather. So in those days that the Marik is discussing, one person said Kaddish for the entire shul. So if he's going to say Kaddish, why, why not? Let, let, let him say Kaddish. What, what's the problem? The problem is, if he's going to say Kaddish, he's going to bump somebody else from the rotation. Because there are sons here saying Kaddish for a parent. If he's going to, we're going to give him a slot, he's going to bump somebody else and take away their zuchus to say Kaddish. So the Marik uh, argued that Kaddish is an expression of Kibar Aviyem. That's why a, child, a son has to say Kaddish for a parent. The Ramah, this is evident from the comments of the uh, Shach on, uh, on the Ramah. The Ramah writes over here, Ois Dawid in Hilch Savelos. If a parent commands a child, if a parent doesn't want to burden the children with observing Avelos, he says, you know what, don't bother keeping Shiva, don't bother keeping Shloshim, it doesn't matter to me, we don't listen to them, because the obligation to observe Shiva and Shloshim is a chiyuv midrabonon of Avelos, it's not in the hands of the parent to be meichel. However, Yud Beis Chodesh, the Shach assumes, the obligation to observe Avelos for all 12 months for a parent, that is an expression of kibbut aviyim. Vaharaya is it doesn't exist by other kravim. It's only by the parent. So it must be that that's uh, precipitated because of kibbut aviyim, as well as the obligation to recite kaddish. So writes the shach and tziva ha'av aim shaloi linog ba'amir beis Since it doesn't apply to other kravim, must be is because of kibbut aviyim, and therefore a person should listen to the parent. He has the right uh, to be meichel. The later paiskim. Right, that a person should not listen to a parent. If they command you not to observe your base chaydesh or ask you not to, uh, to say kaddish, because the reason they're doing it is they don't want to burden the family after they're gone. But anybody who does that, uh, probably, you know, there might be exceptions to this rule, really doesn't understand the benefit of kaddish. If they would understand the benefit of kaddish and what it does for the nifter after he's passed away, there's no way uh, that they possibly would have been meichel. It's just because they lack an appreciation for what kaddish, uh, the role the kaddish plays. So therefore, the Pais can recommend not to listen to a parent who is meichel uh, on the obligation to say kaddish or observe your base chaydesh. But either way, you see that it's an expression of kibbutz aviyim. So says the Marik, a grandson 
is not obligated to recite Kaddish for a grandparent. B'nei Banim Arayim Kibanim does not extend to Kibbut Aviyeh. It means you're a descendant of the grandparents. So it's the fulfillment of Puruvu uh, prevents you from returning to the household of the, uh, of the father of the Kayin. But it's not relevant to Kibbut Aviyeh. And since the grandchild is not obligated to Kibbut Aviyeh for the grandparent, he's not obligated to say Kaddish either. And he's not entitled to a slot in the rotation where one person was going to say Kaddish for the whole shul. We're not going to bump somebody else for a grandchild who wants to say Kaddish um, for a grandparent. At the same time, uh, the Beis Yosef quotes in the name of a Goyen Echad that uh, if a person leaves nobody to say Kaddish, so he's supposed to appoint someone else uh, to say Kaddish for the Nifter, preferably a Karav, because even though there's a primary Zechus of saying Kaddish is only in a son, the, the son is considered to be a continuation of the father, but if there's no son, so better to ask an, another Karav, because that Karav will take it seriously and will uh, be committed to saying Kaddish. If you can't find the carve and other relatives, so the Beis Yosef even discusses hiring someone to say Kaddish. And you're supposed to pay them, because that means it's an obligation that they feel obligated to do it. If they do it as an adava, uh, the likelihood is it'll peter out. So you're supposed to pay them in order to make sure that they're committed to it. So someone else can't say Kaddish. So says the Marik, when is he ever going to get an opportunity to say Kaddish? There's always going to be someone else who's saying Kaddish. So the Marik says we should give him one turn for everybody else's two turns. Within the rotation, all the sons should get two turns. They're, uh, you know, more primary obligation of saying Kaddish. But this grandson who wants to say Kaddish to the grandparent who left no one else to say Kaddish, we should give him one turn for everybody else's uh, two turns in order to make, uh, you know, to give some fulfillment to his ability to say Kaddish for the grandparent. But the Marik assumes there is no obligation of Kibbut uh, Aviyem from grandchildren uh, to grandparents. It doesn't extend. The concept of B'nai Banam Arayim Kibbanim is limited uh, to Puruvu. Similar issues. Huh? Where, where is, where is, it says that that's the, the Hapitani law. Where, where's the Makar of B'nai Banakonim by Puruvu? Puruvu is the Gemara Nivamos. The Gemara says... Where's the Makar for? Okay. Oh, how do we know that? Yes, yeah. yes, right. Yes, right. Last week's Pasha. Yeah. They call him father. So they call him father. You, you find other times. Serech Basosha is also called. It doesn't necessarily indicate the Gemara assumes that it's the case. That from here we derive, and I thought I'm No, but that might be a reflection of the concept, not necessarily a source. It's a good question. It's a good question. The Ramah, though, uh, this is quotes from Arik, and he disagrees. The Ramah writes in Hochus Kibra Viem, Simarej Mem, Sif Chavdawid, Yesh Oim of here, Oishei, Yesh Oim, and there ain't other Machai covered Avi Oviv. That's the Marik. You're not obligated to keep it Aviyem to a grandparent. Ve'ain on Ramah disagrees. There's an obligation of Kibbut Aviyem to the grandparent. Grandchildren are treated like children as well, as we see from uh, Pruvu and other areas. And that extends to Kibbut Aviyem. But the Ramah says the grandparent uh, takes a back seat to the parent. The parent is a primary obligation of Kibbut Aviyem. This is a secondary obligation of Kibbut Aviyem. She should be Machabe, the parent, more than the grandparent. There's an obligation, there but less so than to a parent. But is there a chiyav? Yeah. To say Kaddish. Oh, to say Kaddish. If, if there's a chiyav, keep Yeah, a, yeah, the Ramaz writes so. in the tshuva. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> less so than a parent. We'll get, get to your point. Yeah, 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 we'll get to your point. Yeah, yeah. Let me just that's finish. What? We say by We'll get to the, get to the, get to the, give me a second. So the Ramah has a tshuva tarama about the very same shayla that the Myrick was asked about, about a grandson wants to say Kaddish for a grandparent. So the Ramah says there is an obligation of Kibbut Aviyem, and therefore he should say Kaddish. But is it's less... Kibbut Aviyem for the parent not to say Kaddish, though. What? Because you have a living parent. If your parents are living. No, if the parents are living, so then uh, the parents should say Kaddish. 
Right. The grandparent. The assumption right. is the grandchild is saying Kaddish because there are no there parents. Right. So the Ramah says that the grandson can say Kaddish for the grandfather, but he says it's not as great as the Chiv of Kibbut Aviyem for a person who's saying Kaddish for a parent. So the Ramah comes to the same conclusion as the Marik. He disagrees. He says there is Kibbut Aviyem. What? He had his case. If he, if that's what I know. I understand. I understand. But that's not the typical case. So a grandson, the Ramah says, is obligated to say college for the grandparent, or he can say college for the grandparent. There is Kibbut Aviyem that does extend. But it's not as great or, it's, uh, or as uh, strong as the obligation of Kibbut Aviyem for a parent. So Ramah says he should get a turn within the rotation of saying Kaddish, but let the people who have uh, saying Kaddish for a parent get two turns for his every one turn. So I thought it was very symbolic of all of the machleksin that we have in you know, the, the wars of Kaddish. They actually agree Lomaisa. The Marik and the Ramah agree Lomaisa, but they're still a machlekes, you know. Even though we agree what should be done, that the grandson should get one turn for everybody else's uh, two turns, but they might disagree as to why. Why would it matter to have a chiyuv to be in the rotation if it's not? Because you're bumping somebody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah you're bumping, it's, but it's not it's for that person. So it's not that person one point in the field. If it's a chus for the nifta, right. it should understand. rotation be based on the nifta. Not yeah, but your chus, I'm going to accomplish more in my chus for my nifta than you are for your nifta. It, they be saying Kaddish for that nifter, so the, the neshama has an aliyah. Yeah, but the so, person who's not a son is not accomplishing as much. You agreed, but you're not accomplishing as much. So we should give the people who are accomplishing you more. A son. Show me the scale. Okay, okay, okay. No, just the Kaddish in the shul. The one who got to daven for the omen, and one person said Kaddish. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. That was the custom they're discussing. <laughs> the question is, what was the custom at the time of the Ramah? Also one. Moshe Shabbos? One. Every time, one. That was Minagashkinaz. was one person said Kaddish. <laughs> the Taz on the side of the Ramah brings a proof to this opinion of the Ramah from a Rashi in Parshas Vayigash, where the Pusik tells us as Yaakov is prepared to go see Yosef, he brings Karbanos to the Kodesh uh, Baruch of his father Yitzchak. Why does he reference Yitzchak and not Avram Avinu? So writes Rashi, Chayv Adam covered Aviv, Yosem he covered Ziknoi. Because a person is obligated in the covet of his parent more than the covet of the grandparent than Avram Avinu. But it sounds like from Rashi, which was quoting from the Medrash, that even though the covet of Yitzchak was more... Uh, it was stronger, should have been given precedence to the covet of Avram Avinu, but there still was an element of covet when it's obligated to give covet to a grandparent. The covet of the parent takes precedence, but there is uh, an obligation of covet to the parent as well. So for the Taz brings a riot to the Ramah from here. In fact, the Gilead Marsha asks, how could the Marik possibly disagree? Rashi is quoting a Medrash. Your parent more than the grandparent, but it clearly implies you're obligated to be the grandparent too. So the truth of the matter is, the, the, the later Akhredim defend the Marik, because the Ramban already disagrees with Rashi. He says that's not a good enough reason as to why it says Aviv Yitzchak, because it could have just said, or could have said, yeah, we find elsewhere, Yaakov refers to Avram before Yitzchak, to the grandparent before the parent. So it can't be that in this one instance he refers to Yitzchak, that's because a person is obligated and covered of him, Yitzchak, covered of him, to derive that principle, because we find elsewhere Yaakov refers to Avram before Yitzchak, and we find elsewhere, could have just said, like, hey, of generic, applying both.
So uh, this uh, use, using this as a source to really derive an obligation to be mechabit grandparents is uh, is perhaps tenuous. But that's only kasham shamachumish. But the Lemaisa the Medrash says that. Uh, Lemaisa the Medrash says it. So the Gilim Marshal writes, "Ain't lemedim in a Medrash." You don't learn out from a Medrash. It's always the you know the last uh, ditch yeah. resort. Okay, we don't learn out from a Medrash. We, we put we pull rank. Lemaisa, what emerges is the machlekes between the Raman and the Marik is one obligated to be mechabed uh, grandparents. So we apply b'nei banim, areim kibanim, even to kibud The opinion of the Marik was uh, there's no obligation of kibud and the Ramad disagrees that there is an obligation of kibud from grandchildren to grandparents, but it's less, uh, it's not as strong. It takes a back seat to the cover that's due uh, directly to the parent. The gra on uh, that uh, sif in Hilchas uh, kibud brings two proofs from the Gemara. That the Marik is correct, that there is no obligation of kibbutz aviyim from grandchildren uh, to grandparents, and uh, seeing how the Rishonim and Achronim deal with these two gemaras, perhaps uh, deepen our understanding of both uh, both positions, both that of the Rama and the Marik. The first proof that the Gra uh, marshals uh, in favor of the opinion of the Marik that there is no obligation of kibbutz aviyim from grandchildren to grandparents is Gemara Masechtas Makis. The Gemara tells us over here in Oisches that a uh, as we know there's a halacha called Goyal Hadam. That if a person uh, kills someone else by accident, so then the relatives of the victim have the right to seek revenge by killing the accidental murderer. Unless he seeks asylum in a city of refuge in one of the Ari Mikvat, in which case he's protected. So the Gemara says that, uh, you know, discussing the extent of this halach of Goyal Adam, that the closest relative of the victim has the right to avenge his death by killing the murderer, uh, does that apply if the father is the murderer? And the son is the Gael Hadam. So the Bryce says, Tani Chada, Av Shaharag, he killed presumably a grandchild, you know, one of his grandchildren, Benoi Nasal Gael Hadam. His child becomes the Gael Hadam, and he has the right to kill the father. But Tani Ida, we have another Bryce, Ain Benoi Nasal Gael Hadam. The son has no right to become the Gael Hadam, presumably because of Kibbut Aviyem. Loi Kasha, Sigmar says, not a contradiction. The Gemara resolves, When the Gemara said he does not become the Goyal Adam, is where the grandfather killed Nebuchadnezzar's grandchild. So the son does not become a Goyal Adam to kill his own father because of Kibbut Aviyem. However, if the, grand, if the uh, grandfather killed his own son, then the grandson <laughs> does become the Goyal Adam to kill the grandfather. Right, Rashi? The son does not become the Goyodam, but B'noi Shorotzeach. That's where they, uh, we're talking, discussing the son of the murderer. His son does become the Goyodam, has the right to avenge the death of his Karav. He's the, the grandson, the son of the victim. He's the grandson of the murderer. There's no obligation of keeping Aviyem from the grandchild to the, to the grandfather. So this Gemara seems to imply that there's no obligation of kibbutz aviyim from a grandchild to a grandfather. It's interesting that So this seems to be a proof to Marik that there's no obligation of kibbutz aviyim from grandchildren to a grandparent. However, Shlomo Kluger and the Chuvas Tumtam Vadas defends the Ramah with a fascinating <laughs> argument, uh, and it's based on the Gemara Masechtas Ksubis. The Gemara tells us over here in Daf Kuf Gimel in Mesechtas Ksubis, commenting on the Pasuk of Kabed es avicha v'yasimecha, to honor your father and your mother, es avicha, what is the es coming to include? Zu eshes avicha, a stepmother, the wife of your father. Ve'es imecha, zu balimecha, a stepfather, 
You're also obligated to be machabed. Step parents obligated to be machabed. Vav Yisrael, the rabbis, what about V'es Imecha? That's Es Avicha, that's your stepmother. V'es Imecha, what's the V? V'el, the rabbis is Achicha Agolo. You have to be machabed, your older brother. Anybody who has an older brother is well familiar with this uh, Gemara. They often quote it. Hanimili, when is this true? Mechaim, that's only true in the lifetime of the parent. Misa, after the parent passes away, these uh, obligations do not exist. They don't, they, all, they don't continue after the life of the parent. The Ramban writes, in a Sefer Amitzvah on the Rambam, that that's only with regards, I'm sorry, that this is uh, with regards to all three. All three of these obligations, a stepmother, stepfather, and older brother, only exist in the lifetime of the parent because it's an extension of the cover that's due to the parent. It's an expression of the cover that I have to my uh, father. You have to honor your stepmother, his wife, uh, step, uh, stepfather, in order to honor your mother. Or even to be Mechabit, an older brother, that's an extent, expression of covet to the father. The father wants the younger children to be mechabed, the older children, the, you know, to be mechabed those who are older than them. There's only an obligation to be mechabed them in the lifetime of the father. It's embarrassing for them that the younger children not mechabed the older children. People want their children to respect their elders. So therefore, it's an, it's an expression of covet to the father to be mechabed the step-parent, mechabed achicha godo. The Rambam happens to disagree with the Ramban on that last nekuda with regards to your older brother. The Rambam understood that Gemara, hani mili mechaim of only with regards to step-parents. Step-parents is only in the lifetime of the parent. However, an older brother that the Rambam never stipulated it's only in the lifetime of the parent, that's an inherent, independent obligation to be mechabed your older brother. Survives the death of the parent? Even past the... Uh, Hilly's got you, I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> older brother, you have to be mechabed even after uh, the death of the parent, according to the Rambam. The Rambam disagrees that all three are only in the lifetime of the parent and the expression of the covet that's due to the parent. That's why it says in Shulchan Aruch, it's quoted in Shulchan Aruch, you have to be mechabed a step-parent, but only in the lifetime uh, of the parent. At the same time, it says in Shulchan Aruch, it's roi v'nochon, I think it's hogun, the language of the Shulchan Aruch, to be mechabed the step-parent even after the death of the parent, and many families uh, embrace, oh, yeah. that, uh, embrace that obligation. Okay, it's a right? No, no, it's a But to be mechabed, the step-parent, even after the death of the parent, is the proper thing to do. Either way, argues of Shlomo Kluger that perhaps a similar uh, relationship exists with regards to grandparents. Yes, the Ramah said it's true, you have to be mechabed, grandchildren have to be mechabed the grandparent, but why? It's not an uh, independent obligation to mechabed the grandparent. Rather, it's an expression of covet to the parent themselves. They want you to be mechabed their parents. So therefore, argues of Shlomo Kluger, perhaps that's only in the lifetime of the parent. The parent's still alive, after have to be the grandparent. But what case is the Gemara Masech Desmachus discussing, where the father himself killed his own son? So the parent's no longer here. So since the parent is no longer alive, the grandchild no longer has an obligation of covet to the grandparent. It's only in the lifetime of the parent as an expression of covet that's due to the parent. And the whole Gemara of Nebo and wouldn't fit with this concept. That cannot be the source of the Ramah. The Ramah would probably agree, but Nebo and is not the source. It's an expression of covet that's due to the parent. And the Achroinim, the Shuvah Meyava, was a student of the Night of Yehuda, as well as the Klichem, they bring a riot that this is uh, the Pshat, that the obligation is not independent, it's only an expression of covet to the parent, because if it would be an independent obligation uh, of covet that you have to the grandparent, then the grandparent's covet should take precedence to the father's covet. 
the Ramah, even the Ramah said that the covet of the parent takes precedence of the covet of the grandparent. But if you would have a separate obligation of covet to the grandparents, that should take precedence to the covet of the parent. Why? Because the Gemara tells us in Masechus Kiddushin the famous dilemma of a person who's asked to bring a cup of water to both his father and his mother at the very same time. Who should he uh, be mechabed first? So the Gemara says, You should um, set aside the covet of the mother, perform the covet of the father first. Because both you and the mother are chav in the covet of the father. So whenever you're dealing with three parties, and two of them are obligated to the covet of the third party, so then uh, that his covet, or that third party's covet, takes precedence to the other two. So if the grandson would be obligated to the covet of the grandparent, and the parent is certainly obligated in the covenant of the parent, the grandparent. So then uh, the grandparent's covenant should take precedence to the parent's covenant with regards to the grandchild. But since the Ramah told us, no, that's not the case, the grandparent's covenant takes a back seat to the covenant of the parent, must be that the entire obligation of the Mechabit grandparent is only uh, as an expression of covenant to the parent. And therefore it stands to reason, like if Shlomo Kluga argued, that it's only in the lifetime of the parent. After the parent passes away, Perhaps there is no obligation to be mechaber uh, the grandparent. So again, we have a machleik between the Ramah and the Marik. Is one obligated to be mechaber uh, grandparents or not? The Marik said no. The Ramah said you are. But we have a proof from the Gemara Masech that there's no obligation of cover to the grandparents. And we said perhaps even according to the Ramah, there's only an obligation of cover to the grandparents as an expression of cover to the parent. But after the parent passes away, which is being this, the case of the Gemara Masech Desmakis, perhaps that obligation would not uh, continue. However, the problem is there's another uh, Gemara which seems to indicate, like the Marik, that there is no obligation of covenant from grandchildren to grandparents. Because the Gemara tells us in Masech the Saita that Rav Acha Bar Yaakov uh, raised his grandson. Rav Acha Bar Yaakov raised uh, Rav Yaakov Bar Barte, the son of his daughter. I guess he was named after his father. So Kigado, when he got older, uh, he asked the grandson, Ashkin Maya. No, bring me a cup of water. What do I look like, your kid? He said, I'm not obligated to bring you a cup of water. It says Rashi, No obligation of coven. He didn't do a good job. Huh? Okay. He was too much of a London. So he said, he said, there's no obligation of kibbutz avim. It does not extend from grandchildren uh, to a grandparent. So, uh, sounds like an explicit Gemara. Like the Marik. So the Marsha and that Gemara already writes that perhaps even if we say, B'nai Banim, that the grandchildren are treated like, uh, like sons, that's only uh, b'nei banim. But b'nei banois, it could be the, the grandchildren from a daughter, uh, are different, and perhaps there's no obligation of kibbutz aviyem. And perhaps that's why the Gemara says, specifically in the case of Barbarte, who's the son of his daughter, there there's no obligation of kibbutz aviyem by b'nei banois. But if it would be b'nei banim, perhaps the Ramah is correct, that there is indeed an obligation of kibbutz aviyem. But that's difficult to, 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 to understand. If there's an obligation of kibbutz aviyem by grandchildren to a grandparent, why should we distinguish between uh, grandchildren that are uh, grandchildren from a son versus grandchildren that are uh, grandchildren from a daughter? So the Akhredim suggests two possible ways of perhaps uh, understanding this. The first is because the Gemara tells us in Masechus Kiddushin that the mother herself might not be obligated to be mechabit her parents. The Gemara says, commenting the passing in Parashas Kedoshim, Ish imoi vaviv tiro, that uh, a man and a woman uh, are obligated, I'm sorry, a man is obligated to, be, uh, to fear his mother and his father. So Ish, we understand, a man is obligated in Kibbutz Aviyem. Ein ish, Ish how do we know a woman? 
Because the Pasuk says, Tiro'u, it concludes, Belashin Rabbim. Hare Kanshnayim. So then why does the Pasuk begin, Ish? If it applies both to men and to women, why does it begin, Ish? Ish, seeping be other lasas. A man has uh, the ability to be machabed, his parents, because he has no other responsibilities. Isha ain't seeping be other lasas. She doesn't have the opportunity to be machabed her parents because she has uh, to take care of her household. She has to be machabed her husband. Since she has to be mechabed her husband, she doesn't have the opportunity to be mechabed her parents. So a woman, once she gets married, is exempt from kibbut aviyim. It says in the shach, in Hilchas kibbut aviyim, that the husband can be Michael and the husband should be Michael. That's what it says in the shach. Husband should be Michael and allow his wife to go and uh, honor her parents. In fact, the shach uh, brings a raya from here that it cannot be that a person uh, is obligated to be mechabed his in-laws. Can't be. Why not? Because even though we find in last week's parsha that Moshe Rabbeinu bows down to Yisroi, the Moshe Rabbeinu bows down uh, to Yisroi, and from that, Rashi quotes the name of the Mechilto, you see from here, you're obligated to be Mechabed, your in-laws. The Shach says it cannot be an obligation of Kibbut Aviyem. Why not? Because if it would be an obligation to, of Kibbut Aviyem that you have to your in-laws, why is your, uh, the husband's covered take precedence over the in-laws covered? Again, we should revert back to this uh, triangle. Whenever you have three parties, and two of them are obligated in the covenant of the third, so the third's covered is the one that takes precedence. So why over here, in this uh, triangle of obligations that the wife has, she has an obligation to her parents, she has an obligation to her husband, why does the obligation of covenant to the husband take precedence of the obligation of covenant to the parents if the husband himself is covered his in-laws? So the shach says, must be that even though it's true, Moshe Rabbeinu would bow down to Yisro, expressing covet to his in-laws, that is not a formal obligation of Kibbut Aviyim, because if it would be, the wife should not be exempt from being mechabed her parents in order to be mechabed her husband, the other rabba. They should all be obligated to be mechabed the in-laws. So says the shach, it cannot be a formal uh, obligation of Kibbut Aviyim to mechabed the in-laws. Why then the Moshe Rabbeinu bow down to the in-laws? What's he bowing down to Yisro for? So the Torah Tamima writes, uh, many terutim, I guess. So the Torah Tamima writes, because the Pasuk says, V'yishalu ish l'reyehu l'shalom. Moshe Rabbeinu here is described as ish. Why is he described as ish? As the Torah Tamima, he says, because Moshe Rabbeinu was doing l'fnim m'shur sadin. He was being a mensch. Even though not obligated to be mechabed, but uh, Moshe Rabbeinu first and foremost was a mensch. So he was an ish. So Moshe Rabbeinu was mechabed as in-laws. There's a similar pshat, Pasuk and Parshas told us, and uh, Parshas Noyach, where the Pasuk says, Elo told us, Noyach, Noyach ish. Tzadik Tamim Hayabadaraisav. He was a man, it was a Tzadik Tamim. So if Gifter notes, why does it say Ish before Tzadik Tamim? Because even more important than being a Tzadik Tamim is being an Ish. Being a mensch, and that was the godless of Noach, is that he was an Ish. What do you want to say? You have a different tarot? No, he, 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 he was a worst already, so, so he was an ex in law. Ex in law? Ah, so he's a mamish mensch. A grace of mensch. All right, it's fine. Very good. So you're not obligated, the wife is not obligated to be mechabed her parents. So if that's the case, she's not obligated to be mechabed her parents, she first has to be mechabed her, uh, her husband. So then how can we mechabed her children to mechabed her parents? She herself is not obligated in Kibbut Aviyem. So certainly if Kibbut Aviyem of a parent, is a, of a grandparent, is an expression of Kibbut Aviyem that's due to the parent, the wife herself is not obligated in Kibbut Aviyem to the grandparents. Because so how can we be mechayev? The grandchild, we mechayev the grandparent. If that is only an obligation, is an expression to the parent. The parent wants you to be mechayev their parent. It's an obligation to be mechayev them. You have to be mechayev the grandparent. The wife herself is not obligated to be mechayev the grandparent. So it cannot be that the grandchild is more obligated uh, than the parent themselves. However, perhaps so we could understand it to perhaps in a more uh, slightly more fundamental sense. No, yeah. So then you're saying the shushah takes away the whole chiyuv. Yes. Really case. Yes. It's a dichui like. 
she can be, she can fulfill it, but her son could fulfill it. It doesn't take away the chiv and keep it away. It does. She's not, well, she's not able to do it. That's all because she's. No, she's Potter. That's why it says ish. No, she's dead. She's Potter. She's Potter. Right. Ah, she's saying she really is Chayv still. Yeah. Okay. But perhaps it's more fundamental. And that is because, yeah, what do you want to say? What about a wife to her in-laws? Her in-laws, same she's thing. She's to her husband, and the husband's Chayv is to his parents. Right. So she has a... It says in Shulchan Aruch, he's supposed to be Mechabir in-laws. The Shach says it cannot be a real Chayv of Kibraviyim. It's just a regular uh, obligation to be those who are older than you. But it was probably, even if it's not uh, formalized in Allah, it's an expression of covet to your wife, to be mechabit her parents. Am I expression? Let's just say, a father has a daughter to get a cup of water. Right. So the son would be mechabit to do it. So technically she would also have to do it. Right. 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 You, you know, we, we don't give chaburs over here. That's why it's important <laughs> to be ish, uh, <laughs> ish, 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 uh, it could be, though, that there's a different reason why there's a distinction between B'nai Banim that are obligated to be mechabit the grandparents as opposed to B'nai Banois. And that uh, is, because it could be the obligation to mechabit grandparents, even according to the Ramah, is because uh, the grandparent is obligated to teach his son Torah. The Rambam over here, the beginning of Hilchus Talmud Torah, quotes from the Gemara Masech, this Kiddushin, commenting on the passing of Parashas Vahizchanon, that a person is not only obligated to teach his son Torah, but he's obligated to teach his grandson Torah, because the Pasuk says, He's obligated to teach a grandson Torah. Then the, uh, the Ramam goes on, he says, well, you know, you're really obligated to teach everyone Torah, because the Pasuk says, So you're obligated to teach your son, you're obligated to teach your grandson, but really you're obligated to teach everybody. So then the Ramah asks, Im Kain, if that's the case, you're obligated to teach everyone, Why does the Torah single out the son and the grandson? If you're obligated to teach everyone. It says to teach you, You should give precedence to your son over uh, a grandson, and a grandson over teaching uh, someone else's child. You're obligated to teach everyone, but you should give precedence to your son and, uh, and a grandchild. You're only obligated to teach Ben Chaveroi, the son of your friend, Bechinam, for free. And I'm obligated to teach him, Torah, but not if it's going to cost me money. But to teach your own son, to teach a grandchild, you even have to pay money. You even have to pay uh, their tuition. And Rabbi Bear explains in the Birch that what's going on here is because there's two obligations to teach your son Torah. One obligation is, as an expression of my own Talmud Torah, I should want to teach Torah. And that <coughs> applies universally to everyone. I should give presence to my son, presence to my grandchild, but I'm really obligated to teach everyone. That's one obligation as an expression of my own Talmud Torah. But then Rabbi Baruch says there's a second obligation to teach Torah to your son uh, because my son has an obligation to learn. And I, as his parents, have a responsibility to make sure he fulfills his obligation, his responsibility. Just like I have an obligation to make sure he gets a brismila, he gets a pidin aben, he gets married, he's able to earn a parnas, so all the obligations that the father has to his child, one of those obligations is to make sure that he learns. So even if I myself am not going to teach him, as my own expression of Talmud Torah, but I have an obligation to make sure he fulfills his responsibility to learn. And that requires me even to pay money. Obligation to teach others, I only have to do for free. That's my own Talmud Torah. But to make sure that he fulfills his responsibility to learn, that's an obligation on the father, and you even have to pay money, and the grandparent uh, would have to pay money <coughs> We'd have to pay money as well. However, uh, it could be... Watch. To teach his grandchild. In other words, because it's his son's obligation, he has to teach, he has to pay money 
to teach the grandchild. Correct. No. So that's how you no, he has to make pay money grandchild. to make sure the grandchild learned. Right. <laughs> right. Because the grandparent has an obligation above and beyond the obligation we all have to teach Torah. He has an obligation to make sure that his children are learning. Right. So writes the Shulchan Aruch HaRav on that uh, halacha. <laughs> Shout out. Writes the Shulchan Aruch HaRav that this is only by uh, grandchildren from a son. Not grandchildren, not uh, B'nai Bonois. There's no obligation, so Baruch Hashem relieves if anybody grandchildren from the daughter, relieves from an obligation to pay tuition for the grandchildren from a daughter, at least according to the Shulchan Aruch HaRav. Aruch HaShulchan disagrees, Aruch HaShulchan disagrees, but the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch HaRav feels it's only B'nai Bonim, not B'nai Bonois. Why is this the case? Why should one distinguish between B'nai Bonim as opposed to B'nai Bonois? And perhaps the reason is because the obligation of the grandfather to teach Torah to his grandchildren is to pass on the Messiah from one generation to the next generation, to make sure that the grandchild is part of the chain of Messiah. That's why the Pesach says, To teach him about Maimed Arsinai, not necessarily to teach him Torah, but to make sure that he's part of the Messiah of Torah that uh, goes all the way back to Maimed Arsinai. So if that's the case, perhaps since one's daughter is not obligated in Talmud Torah, so the chain of the Messiah has already been broken to a certain extent. Because you can't teach a daughter in the same way that you can teach a son. She's not obligated in Thomas. Of course, she can learn uh, in a voluntary sense, but she's not obligated to learn Torah in the same way. So therefore, the chain of the Messiah, in a certain sense, uh, has been broken with the daughter. So if that's the case, and the whole obligation to teach the grandchild Torah is to make him a part of the chain and link of the Messiah from father to son, and the generation to the next generation, perhaps since uh, the daughter, the one doesn't have the same obligation to teach her Torah, she's not to the same extent a chain of the Messiah, so then perhaps uh, that same obligation to teach a grandchild Torah doesn't extend to Bnei Bonos. So if that's the case, and the grandfather doesn't have the same obligation of Talmud Torah to Bnei Bonos that he has to Bnei Bonim, perhaps we could understand as well why Kibbut Aviyim which perhaps is a reflection that you have to a grandparent, perhaps is a reflection as a you know, corresponds to the obligation of the grandparent to teach the grandchild Torah. In turn, he has to be Muhammad him as an earlier link in the chain of the Messiah. Perhaps that makes more sense with regards to Bnei Bonim than it does with regards to Bnei Bonim. Okay. <laughs> Yes.